This morning we are launching a series that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, and it's called Friends. It's called Friends. Who, who's a, a fan of the Friends show with Rachel and all uh, back in the day? Anyone? We've got a, f- we've got a few. Um, that makes you a child of the 90s, possibly. I'm not quite sure. When I think of the topic Friends, I think of the song that uh, we used to sing about year 12 when I graduated, and a friend's a friend forever. Do you know what I'm talking about? Who, and a friend's a... No, okay, don't worry about it. But I, I believe that godly friendships are a really important part of our life. And so we're going to take some time to look at the Bible and what the Bible says about developing friends. Uh, There's an unlimited amount of surveys that have been done over the last 10 years that point towards a very discouraging trend in our communities. In fact, one that was done uh, in in the UK just recently, they surveyed 800 millennials, uh, uh, Gen Y, born between 81 and the 2000s, and they were so shocked by the survey that they did it again because they thought it was a mistake. And so they did this survey again and they found uh, over and over that although the average Facebook usage for this generation was six and a half hours a day, um, they would go to work to, to feed the Facebook habit. Um, that, that, that group of people surveyed actually indicated a greater level of loneliness than ever before. We tend to live in a, in a, in a society that feels like there's more friends, as in Facebook friends or social media friends, than people have ever experienced, but the ache for meaningful relationship that God has placed inside of us is not filled by that. Uh, two years ago, the, the, an Australian report uh, called the Loneliness Report came out and found that one in four Australians every week will report a hot, one in four on a weekly basis will record a high level of loneliness. And then the rest of us, it will, it will vary from week to week. Uh, scientists and psychologists will tell us that loneliness leads to significant mental and emotional issues, as well as increase your risk of serious physical conditions. There are actual health problems that go with loneliness. Now, I know all of us in this room at some point have faced a, an overwhelming feeling of loneliness. For some of us, it's, it's something that you dip in and out of, and for others of us, it's a real challenge for you right now in the current season of your life. You can be surrounded by people, but yet feel lonely. And this is why we're going to talk about this issue. We want to tackle this issue head on because it's not God's design for you to be lonely. It's his design for you to have meaningful friends and family around you. I want to say this at the outset that uh, no, no amount of friends and even really good friends will ultimately fill the, ho- the hole that's in our heart that was designed for friendship with God. That's the very core of our being, to have a friendship with a heavenly father. You're designed for that relationship. I was designed for that relationship. And if I try to find the, that's an, a substitute for the relationship that God would create for me for with him, then it will not fulfill me. You'll find that when you connect with your heavenly father, when you come into the relationship with God you're designed for, then it will, be, it will change everything from the inside out. At the end of this service, there'll be an opportunity if you've never done that, if you've never prayed a prayer, asking God to come into your life, to begin a friendship with Him, then you can do that today and it will be a game changer for your life. I guarantee it. 
But you need more than just God. God is the center. He's the most important building block in our relationship. But we need more than a relationship with God. In the Garden of Eden, when God had created Adam and he got to walk with God every day and it was a magnificent world, God looked at Adam and in Genesis 2 verse 18, it captures this, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him, a complimentary uh, friend for him. It's not good. And you go, well, no, he had God. He had a perfect relationship with God, yet God looked at him and said, no, it's not good that he be alone. He needs someone. He, he needs someone in addition to God. C.S. Lewis wrote this, that friendship is the crown of life and a school of virtue. I love that. I love this idea that friendship multiplies the joy in our life and divides the sorrow in our life. Good friends will make you laugh. Good friends will cry along with you. Good friends will cheer you on and celebrate with you. Good friends will help when we're down. Ecclesiastes says it like this, two people are better than one for they can help each other succeed. Okay, you'll go way further when you've got a friend in your corner than any else. But if one falls, the other can reach out and help, for someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Friends, help us through the good times and the tough times. Friends, make us better. If you're looking to develop friends, and I believe we all are, we need to find friends who make us a better version of ourselves who enhance us, who lift us, who challenge us, who motivate us. I love what Proverbs 27 verse 17 says. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I often say to the young people in our church consistently, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The people you hang around with will, will either be the, the weight that holds you down or they'll be the buoyancy that lifts you up. So we need to be deliberate and, and decisive in the choosing of our friends and spending time. I used to describe someone who is a good friend as, as a person that you had fridge rights with. Someone you can walk into their home and just help yourself to the fridge without having to explain yourself. Apparently, the modern day version of that is that you can walk into their house and your Wi-Fi automatically connects so that you're on, you're just, you walked in and I'm on and I'm downloading all my movies on your Wi-Fi. Thank you very much. Great friends. All right. Someone else said it like this. A good friend is someone who you don't have to clean up their house before they come over. Some of you OCD people can't, can't agree with that, but you get the general concept of this. Jesus had a circle of friends, the Son of God. He, he had a circle of friends. Jesus had a best friend. His name was John, appropriately. Uh, he was the Apostle John. He described himself in the gospel that he wrote as uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He didn't refer to himself as, as, hey, Jesus hung out with me or Jesus hung out with John. He, the disciple that Jesus loved. I, lo I love that he wrote that. I, have, I figure because he wrote that when all the other disciples had been martyred and he didn't get martyred. And so they were all gone and then he wrote, because it was the last of the Gospels written, apparently 80 or so AD. In his 80s, they estimate, scholars estimate as when John wrote it. And I can imagine the disciples from heaven going, hey, what do, you, what do you think you mean, the disciple who Jesus loved? I thought I was the disciple Jesus loved. Now you've recorded it in the Bible. What's going on? 
But he was. He had an intimate friendship with Jesus. He was Jesus' best friend. When they were at the, at the reclining at the table of the 12th, uh, at the supper, the last supper, uh, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And they, they nudged to John and said, who is it? Ask him, because John was close. Jesus was leaning on him. There was a, a close relationship going on with him. In fact, at the cross, when Jesus was being crucified, the only disciple recorded as being there with his mother and some of the female disciples disciples was John. And John actually, in this moment, as Jesus looked down off the cross, he saw him. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. He said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. John was like his next of kin. Take, my mom can't care for herself. And that society, because his dad wasn't alive, his stepdad Joseph wasn't alive, Jesus would have taken the responsibility to care for his mom. And as he was leaving, he made sure that John, his best friend, was going to look after his mom. Jesus had a, a group of friends, and we, they're called the disciples. And their, their friendship was based on a partnership, on a purpose. I would say that, that most of us, our friendships form around a commonality, common ground. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis said it like this, when you discover a person and they say something, you go, what? I thought I was the only person who thought like that. That's the common ground. That's often where a friendship starts, common ground. It might be a, an interest, a, a hobby, something that you're interested in and they're interested in and it becomes common ground. But I've found the deepest and the greatest of friendships are formed around a common purpose that is greater than just the friendship. When there's a common purpose, and often husbands and wives form a great friendship as the common purpose of being parents, but one day the kids will leave and you need more common purpose than just your children. You need things that unite you together. And so Jesus' disciples were formed around this purpose of changing the world. Jesus didn't just have a group of friends, he had an inner circle of friends, of which John was one and Peter and James were another. Uh, in addition to the disciples, Jesus also had uh, uh, friends who he would stay with and hang out with. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The Bible said he would go and he would stay in their place. And, and these, were, these weren't so much the inner circle disciples, but these were friends that refreshed Jesus. When Jesus heard that Lazarus wasn't well, he said, Our friend Lazarus is not well. And then when Lazarus died, he wept and they looked at him and said, oh, he must have loved Lazarus. And that's because he had a, some friends that he would go and stay. And we, we, you read about it. Mary would, uh, Martha would put on a great spread. Jesus and all these hungry young bucks would rock up. And, and she'd have to put on a big feed to look after them and refresh them. They'd stay in their house in Bethany, just, just over the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. A few miles outside of Jerusalem is where Jesus would stay in their home. And these friends would refresh him and we all need some friends who will refresh us we all need some friends who will look after us and care for us and help us uh, and be with us through the seasons of life we all need those kinds of friends and the, this morning I want to talk a little bit about how do we find those kind of friends how do we develop because they don't just happen they don't just they don't happen by accident they, they happen, and the Bible lays out some ways that we can develop 
great friends. And if you've got some great friends, you can go deeper with your friendships. And, uh, and if you, you need some more friends, I want to lay out some thoughts from the Bible about how we can develop great friendships. And we'll look at it over this next few weeks. The first thought is this, that if, I, if I'm wanting to be a great, if I'm wanting to have great friends, well, rather than looking for great friends, I need to be a great friend. I need to be the person who takes the initiative. I need to be that kind of person. When I was a teenager, I, I must have cracked the, the, the sads one night and I went along to youth group and I just made a decision. I was not going to talk to anybody. I was not going to reach out to anybody. I was dark for some reason, can't remember why. But I remember sitting in the corner the whole night and nobody talked to me. And I realized that if I'm going to want people to reach out to me, I'm going to have to be the guy who reaches out to them. The principle of sowing and reaping works in friendships as much as it does in finances. Proverbs 18 verse 24 says this, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Uh, another version says, He who wants friends must show himself friendly. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So the very first point that I want to share if we're going to develop great friendships is we need to be ones who take initiative. We need to be the ones who take initiative. We need to be the ones who, rather than trying to find friends, are a friend. Zig Ziglar said this. I love it. If you go looking for a friend, you're going to find they're very scarce. But if you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. I love that. Dale Carnegie, the, the writer of the book, How to Win Friends. The Bible actually uses that expression, you win friends. How to win friends and influence people. He said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. I like that, being interested, being a good question asker. So we've got to, we've got to take initiative. Initiative, uh, initiative can be as simple as making a decision, uh, whether it be after church, whether it be in your street, whether it be in your workplace, but just going a little beyond our comfort zone and showing interest in somebody else. Going and asking you a question. Hey, I've never met you. It's great to meet you. My name is. Tell me something about you. Just take, showing initiative to be the, be the icebreaker. You be the, you be the person who, who and you, you know what? Shyness is not an excuse. Being an introvert is not an excuse for us to step outside and just initiate conversation, initiate communication with people. You, you'll never know what might happen. Initiating can, is the next step of that is, is showing hospitality. In about 1996 or 1997, Danielle and I made some, a decision to begin to invite people home for lunch after church. It was a decision that we made that we would show initiative. Little was I to know that we'd have this wonderful family with four little kids around our home and they were 15, 20 years older than us. Little did I know that they would, uh, they would ultimately become some of our greatest friends. Maybe not 15 years older than us, Russ, maybe 10 to 12 years older than us. But this, this friend, these friends called the Smiths, just one meal after church, and it's our hearts connected. I didn't know that I wasn't like, will these be our best friends? Will this, will this, because you, you don't want to be those needy people. Like, oh, we don't want to be the clingy people. It's just like, you just so, you take initiative. Little did I know that 23 years later, we'd still be great friends and that that would be the beginning. But it just started with showing initiative and come over to our place for meals. And does everybody we invited over for meals become our best friends? No, but some do. It starts with initiative. It starts with initiative. 
The next thing we need to do if we're going to develop friendships is we need to invest in those friendships. We need to invest in those friendships. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says this, The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends. Now, I want us just to think about this for a moment. If you're going to develop great friends and, and win great friends, this is interesting. It means I need to sow good deeds. Now, again, the principle of sowing and reaping means I might sow good deeds into this relationship, but reap friendships over here. It doesn't always work that I'm sowing into that relationship and that one becomes a great friendship. It's the principle of sowing. But if you're going to invest in friendships, it requires sowing good deeds. Proverbs 16.28 shows the opposite. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife and gossip separates the best of friends. So what I do with my words and what I do with my deeds and how I engage with people will determine, am I sowing for friendship or am I sowing for separation? A good friend covers a friend's sin. Love covers a multitude of sins. So how do I invest in relationships? Well, acts of kindness, thoughtfulness, encouragement. I love David sharing about uh, sometimes small groups have a, a season of everybody writing a note or a text of encouragement to one another. Just being thoughtful. The, the, the book of Proverbs says this. Proverbs has got lots of great scriptures about friendship. It says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So often we're like, I, I need refreshing. Oh, won't somebody refresh me? That's the moment to go, well, who else can I refresh? Who can I sow encouragement to? Who could I give a gift to? Who could I go out of my way and do an act of service for? Who could I sow a seed into, their, into that relation? That's why I love, I love connect groups. I love what happens in connect groups because it, it helps me intentionalize things that I know I'd like to do. And it puts me in the proximity of, of eight or 10 or 12 people who, who may not, we might not have a lot in common. You know, you, you, you might love hunting and they love bunny rabbits. Come on, somebody. You, just, you, you might not have a lot in common. But at the end of the day, if you, you, if you got God in common and you're an encourager and you're a loving person, some of the deepest friendships aren't actually built around a hobby. They're built around a commitment to God and building His house and loving Him, loving God. And when you've got that, that in common... And so over the years, in some small groups, we've done things like this. Uh, okay, we're all going to wash this person's car at Connect Group tonight. Uh, we're all going to we're all going to send each, we're going to pair up and and send encouraging texts over the next six weeks. And are we taking a challenge and just things that intentionalize the habits of friendship forming? And I know we've got. Uh, and if you want to join one of the groups in our church and you're not in one, it will be a way. Now here's what you 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 may not become best friends with everybody in that group. But you may form a friendship with somebody in that group that will be a friend for life. Because I've seen it happen over and over and over again, and it's happened in my, my own life over and over again. Now, one of the great things that you can invest in a friendship is forgiveness. 
One of the great things. Sometimes we've built a friendship and then someone just let us down. We went through a trial and they weren't there. And we thought they would be there, but they weren't there. And we can put them on the list. I don't know if you have a list. No, you do have a list. We've all got a list. We, we, we describe it like this. It's like, well, they didn't do that, so they're on the list. It's sort of like, yeah, you just you got, you got pushed outside of the friendship circle because I went through a crisis and I was, or, or you, you know, some of you, you forgot my birthday. You're on the list. You, or you, you missed this key moment or you said you were coming to this occasion and you didn't come. You're on the list. Now, not all, everyone in the room is like that, but some of us are like that, okay? Some of us have that sort of, because you're such a great friend, you have a high expectation for other people. But look at this. Proverbs 17 verse 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Some of us have got some great friends that you've had for life and, and somehow the devil's got into your head. Oh, look, I'm just going to move on because they just missed it in this season. And that, the greatest way you could invest in that friendship right now is to make a decision. I'm taking them off the list. I'm going to forgive them for not being there, for not fulfilling my expectations. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to forgive them. And I'm going to reinvest in a relationship where we've got a lot of history. We've all, we've, all got, we've all had those moments. And what we tend to do is this. We tend to judge ourselves by our intentions and judge others by their actions. Someone goes through a crisis. In our heart and intentions, we meant to send them the text. We meant to drop off a gift. We meant to make them a meal. We meant to be there in our heart. And then we, life got busy and for some reason we didn't. But we go, well, I meant to and it's okay. But then put it in reverse and we go through a crisis. And our friend meant to and meant to and meant to, but they didn't. And what we do is although we judged ourselves on our intention, we judge them on what we expected them to do, not on their intention. Why don't we be people who flip it on its head and go, oh, look, something must be going on because they would normally do that. That's what it means to, for love to, uh, to overlook a fault, to forgive. They, they would have meant to do that. And great friendships continue to overlook things and stuff and talk it through and work together like that, talk it out. All right, that's investing, invest encouragement, acts of kindness, thoughtfulness, and forgiveness. Invest time in a relationship. It takes time to, to, to build great relationships. It takes time. Uh, and not, not every time we hang out with our friends is going to be the, the ultimate experience. But just sometimes hanging out and just not doing much and just being blah, it's okay. It's just you're building time. And if you can be comfortable with silence or comfortable with, without, with times that aren't the highest ever experience, it's a good way to build friendships. The third thing here is to include people. To include people. Jesus with his three, his circle of friends, Peter, James, and John, he included them in his trials and he included them in his triumphs. 
He goes up to a mountain of transfiguration where, where, where there's glory and a voice of heavens there and, and the prophet and, and there's, there's, there's just Old Testament biblical figures there and, and they're witnessing this amazing experience. Jesus included them in it. Jesus goes in and raises a little girl from the dead and he brings Peter, James and John into this moment of triumph. Be part of my life. Come into this, this moment. It's sensational. But then when Jesus went through his darkest hour, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he knew he was going to be uh, crucified, he, he asked Peter, James and John to come into that moment as well. He shared with them, he said, my soul is disturbed even to the point of death. He, he, didn't, he didn't just go, oh, this is, this is my world. I don't want to show you my weakness. He actually let some friends in to his vulnerable space, the Son of God. He included in the pain or the trial. I've, one of the things that's helped me in my marriage uh, in the last 10 years, I, I used to not share too much of my darker thoughts with Daniel. I know, right? I used to just go, oh, that's for me and God to sort out because I'm the man and I'm going to sort out the, the things that, 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 are, that are worrying me. I'm just going to take them to God, pray them through and deal with them. But marriage is supposed to be a great friendship and I'm blessed to be in a great friendship with my wife. But, but someone taught me and they said, actually, she wants to know what's going on in your head. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. But what, I, I actually had to learn this, and this for some husbands here today, and for some friends, for, for those not married, but for some friends, Danielle and I asked this question of each other, well, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? What's, what's keeping you awake? What's causing you to pray? Great friendships come out of great questions. And then being willing and vulnerable enough to go, well, I'm going to include you in what's going on in my mind. And so often at the start of the week, we'll, we'll just set aside some time and go, okay, well, and we call them stressors. What, what, what are the things that are, that, and I don't, I don't even like to admit that I get stressed, okay? I'm a typical bloke. I, I don't get stressed, but I've got things on my mind. That's how I fool myself, okay? I'm, I'm not stressed, but I've got things that I'm thinking about. And so when she asks the questions, well, what are you thinking about? I can say, well, I've got this situation in my business that, that I'm thinking a lot about. And I've got this situation with that person. And this, 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 this is what's going around in my mind with, 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 with this area of my life. And as I share that, apparently, she likes to hear it. She likes to know what's going on in my head. And then we pray together. And what, that thing I shared very early, right on there, this thought is this, that friendship multiplies joy and divides sorrow, or a problem shared is a problem halved. It's become, for me, the last 10 years, our marriage and our friendship has gone to a way deeper level because I've included her in what's going on. Now, not everyone here is going to be able to have marriages that, where you're able to do that or, or be married, uh, but there's, there's someone out there that, who you'll be able to become a prayer partner with, you'll be able to talk with and, and initiate, and even if you're the initiator, there, there's people that God's got for you to pray together with and to share those thoughts with and go to a deeper place because they get you, because they care, but the key to it is you being the one who initiates and being that kind of friend. Can I get a keyboardist up here right now? The key of, of inclusion 
is to make the distinguish to make the distinction that I'm including a small group of people in my vulnerable world, not the whole world in my vulnerable world. Because if you have a bad habit of being a social media person who lets it all hang out there for everybody, then it'll actually scare people away. So leading with your vulnerability in relationship is not the key way to lead. Leading with encouragement and friendship, but then as you go deeper in relationship and you begin to go, oh, here's someone I can let in. I'm just going to let you know a little bit about me and see how they handle it. See if they're encouraging, if they're confidential. But as you do that, if you've got a couple of friends who you can share your world and challenges with, you're a rich person. And God wants us to have those kind of friends. That's His plan for us together. Can I lead us in prayer right now? Father, I just thank You this morning that You created us for relationship. And I'm asking for every person who's listening to this message today that you take us deeper into friendships. That you'd help us to be the kind of friend that we would want ourselves. That we'd initiate that the friendships we've already got, we'd invest in. And it'd help us to include people in the ups and downs of our life. I'm asking, Lord, for the rich tapestry of relationship to be a mark of our church. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hey, I'm going to release all of those who are with us online, our Sunny Coast family online, our Melbourne East family online, and our C3 Powerhouse online church. God bless you guys. I'm handing you back to Teresa. Have a fantastic day.